0: Fall had come to the mountains. Nature put on its most colorful gowns, from the yellow of the pale winter sun to the red of the wild cherry and the brown of the Carpathian bear's fur. After three more days, the caravan left the colorful vegetation behind and continued its journey under tall fir trees. Eventually, the fir trees became scarce and gave way to junipers, scattered over large expanses of sturdy grass and moss. The good weather stayed with them, and the days were mostly sunny, but evenings became chilly and they gathered closer to the fire at the end of the day. They parted with the Naparis River, now only a thin thread of crystal water, on a bright afternoon. They were approaching the Mountain Divide. They'd made the Greeks happy and proud of themselves. They had kept the pace, had not made any trouble, and had learned a great deal about life within the Dacian warriors' community. Their unblemished white skin was now tanned, and their fine soft flesh had turned into hard muscle. The travelers moved through the junipers and arrived on a large plateau covered with grass. To the left and right, the snow topping the highest mountains sparkled in the sun. They had been traveling for 20 days. The Kinae stopped the caravan to give them instruction. instructions. We are now at the highest point of our track. We will start the descent now and if the weather stays sunny and dry, we will reach the Dachian stronghold at Arpaş in two days. We will arrive at the sheepfold later today and sleep there. Now the path gets tricky from here. Follow it and do not stray, stay close to each other, don't get near the rav- ravines, and keep your eyes open. it will be hard work to get to our night shelter, but if you do as I say, we will get there in good time during the following hours. The travellers found out that Dekinai's warning was an understatement. They thought they were prepared for the last leg of the journey, but they had to admit that their physical condition was not up to such a challenge. The slope was so steep that their joints stretched almost to the snapping point their knees rotating rotated at such angles they expected them to pop out of their sockets any moment and their backs sustained such a colossal weight they bent backwards from the corner of their eyes they could make out frightening chasms with wreathing blue serpents of fog the hours passed in a tormented fight against their own weakness. When the kinai stopped again at the ridge of a lightly sloping meadow, they were ready to believe anything. But the young Dacian warrior turned to them and smiled. Smiled. Look down. They could not believe their eyes. At the other end of the large meadow was the sheepfold with bleating animals and wooden shelters all very real and close by, as if to dispel any doubt of the image they had before them, several huge dogs came out of nowhere, positioned themselves around the fold, and started to bark men- menacingly. Two shepherds appeared from behind the shelters and motioned to the dog to stop the dogs to stop their advance but didn't order them to stop barking. Dekinais lifted one arm and approached the two men, while the others remained on the ridge showing great respect towards the guarding beasts. Only after Dekinais talked to the shepherds for a while did they command the dogs to cease barking. The animals obeyed and lay down in the grass without averting their warning eyes from the people in the distance. The Kinais signaled the party to approach, and they all came down the meadow, taking care not to lose their balance and roll down in pieces. The shepherds helped the warriors unload the donkeys and take the beasts to shelter. When the work was complete, the shepherds disappeared into one of the dwellings, and the travelers occupied the main shelter. Once the fire was lit, They each opened their bags and took out the last onions they carried. The shepherd had given them fresh cheese and milk as well as some spicy and delicious stew in a large wooden bowl, and the travelers fell over the food. After dinner, they covered themselves with their woolen cloaks and went to sleep. Thais sat by herself and ate absently as usual. Alexius sat down next to her but did not speak. The Kinais explained. We will now descend some more tomorrow, but the path is not difficult any more. And before midday, we will reach the high plains of Dacia, where we will travel along the ridges toward sunset until we get to Arpaş. That is where we will unload the grain. The warriors will remain there. And the donkeys, he added. The twins looked at each other in obvious confusion. Dekinai smiled at them and continued explaining. There are two mills at Arpash. We will leave the grain there to be ground. And most of the warriors who accompanied us to Carsium belong to the stronghold of Arpash. They will be home tomorrow. But don't you have mills closer to Sarmisegetusa? Asked Silias, not even trying to hide his perplexity. Sure we do, but this grain doesn't go to Sarmisegetusa. The flour will be divided among the Dachian villages around Arpash and further east. But what about Sarmisegetusa? The capital, as well as the villages around it, get its grain from the Banat Plains to the west. I don't understand. Why did you take such a long and dangerous journey just to get the grain from the south? Let me explain. First, there is not enough grain in the West to feed all of the Dacian villages and strongholds. Second, the Roxolani are our brothers. They need salt and silver and other things we have here, and we trade them for their grain. It is a good business for everyone. Cilias nodded and then made a disappointed face. That's a pity. I could already imagine myself entering the magic capital of Sarmis in front of the caravan as the one to save its people from starvation. Both Dechinais and Daryane laughed at this, and they laughed even harder when Celia stood up and showed them exactly how he had intended to enter the capital, saluting and making faces. Me, I can hardly wait to get there and meet Sina sighed Ariane. I like you guys, but I really need to get off these filthy clothes and talk to a girl. She sneaked a shy glance in Ty's direction at this, but the woman remained as usual indifferent to the happy chatter. Ariane had tried to approach Ty several times during the journey, but the woman didn't respond in any way. Finally, her father told her to have patience. She listened to him, as she always did, but it made her sad to see the spark in Tai's eyes extinguished forever, or oh, so it seemed. You will meet Sina, and I am sure you will become good friends. But Sina is not in Sarma's jetusa either. Not even Sina? At this desperate question, not only the young man laughed, but Alexios as well. No, sorry. Actually, very few people live in Sarmisegetusa. It is only the king with his family, the priests at the temple, and the knights, the kings and the great priests' guards. Other than that, several artisans, nothing more. The Tarabostes and their people live in the villages and strongholds around the capital. It was clear that the twins didn't understand the first explanation, so Tekinai's explained further. Uh, The capital is, um, he stopped and looked around, then took a half-burned stick from the fire. Then he cleared a space on the table and started drawing on it with the charred tip of the stick. First, he drew a large circle. Look here. We have several strongholds set in circle. The farthest eastern one is the stronghold at Arpash, the one we are heading to. Then we have Tilishka, then Kapulna, then going down towards Banat Valley comes Costești, Blidaru, Redstone, and Banita. See all in circle, and in the middle is Sarmisjetusa. Now, within this circle are many villages. One of them, very close to the capital, is the Bear's Valley. That's where we will find Sina. She lives there with her father, old Tarabostes Uroles, who is in charge with the village and the territories around it. Why Bear's Valley? Well, the main occupation there is beekeeping. Bees, honey. Oh, I got it. Dekinaes turned to Ariane and Alexios, who had come near the fire, to see the sketch for himself. "'You will like it there, I am sure.' "'And me? Shouldn't I like it there, too?' asked Cilias, a little bemused. This time Dekinaes laughed out loud. "'Well, you might like it there, too, but you will like Sarvisegetusa better. You want to become a warrior, don't you? Or do you prefer to make honey?' What the Kinais told them about the path ahead proved to be true. Shortly after midday, the next day, they turned to the west with high ridges on their left and continued their journey on gently inclined paths. The fir trees gave way to sycamores and beech trees joined by clusters of raspberry thickets. The trees were leafless now, letting the sun brighten the path, even if not warming it with its thin rays. They had been traveling for three weeks, and the fall colors were in full display in the mountains. The Knaes rode at the head of the caravan, and Silas traveled with, right next to him. For some reason, Thais found her place behind them. She was still not talking, but the day was bright, the travel easy, and even she was smiling from one corner of her mouth. Alexius and Ariane were the last to follow, and they both enjoyed the opportunity to travel together and chat. After their mother left their young world, Silas was the one who followed his father everywhere. He just didn't seem to feel secure any place else. Whenever he couldn't see Alexios, the child would become agitated and nothing could reassure him until he was reunited with his father. Ariane, on the other hand, didn't seek Alexios' company. In fact, she didn't seem to seek anyone's company, sometimes not even her brother's. She didn't even speak for a while. She seemed to be lost in her own world. She never cried and didn't look sad or frightened. She simply preferred her magic world to the real one. Around the time the children turned age eight, Celia's best friend Otis began to re- be required more at home and also he was trusted with chores around the horses. Celia followed him and very soon his compulsive need to be close to his father abated. Ariane, left alone at home, started to come out of her shell and shyly approach Alexios. She began to follow him in his warehouse and make herself useful. Sometimes, when there wasn't much to do, they would sit on a crate, share their lunch and talk about silly things. The girl became comfortable with him and he enjoyed her sweet company. They helped each other fill the void in their lives. But on their journey to Dacia, the physical challenges didn't leave much room for conversations and the unknown dangers forced them to stay close to the others. Now, finally, they had time for themselves and they used it, bringing up the rear of the caravan and talking again. Isn't that bow heavy? It is, but I got used to it. Do you want to hold it? No, no, laughed Alexios. I'd catch my ears in the strings. I saw you exercising with the warrior Basto. Oh, yes, every single day. He's merciless. He doesn't care if I am tired, if it rains. He just plants himself in front of me and raises a brow. And I have to get up and follow him. (laughs) But I'm getting better now. Ariana laughed and went closer to a raspberry thicket, where she discovered several berries. Who'd have thought, murmured Alexios more to himself. Ariane heard him and laughed again. She stretched her hand and picked the largest berry, admired it in the sun for a moment, and then popped it in her mouth. Do you know what he does now? He hides and jumps suddenly in front of me. Then I have to reach for an arrow, position it, stretch the bow, and release the arrow before he reaches me. Actually, it's fun, and I think he enjoys the lessons as much as I do. Alexius waited for her to get back on the path, and then they resumed their walk. Are you sorry we left, Histria? Ariane didn't answer immediately. She knew the question, though lightly asked was very important for her father, and thought about it before she answered. No, I don't think so. This is all so strange, so different from the life we had in Histria. People are different, places are different, everything. But I feel somehow at home. Isn't that strange? In the meantime, the girl found another raspberry thicket and stretched out her hand again for the sweet berries. You see, we slept in the most uncommon places, big dachian halls, sheepfolds, even on bare earth. But still, I found it closer and warmer than... Ariane, don't move! She heard her father's sudden voice, and she froze. Keep looking down, he spoke again in a low but urgent voice. Now step back, easy. Ariane, Ariane raised her eyes in terror, and saw on the other side of the thicket the massive head of a brown bear looking straight at her as if still deciding what to do next. Don't look at him, she heard her father's order, but she couldn't turn her eyes away from that huge head. This was the season when Carpathian bears started to look for a place to hibernate for the winter, but not all of them were ready to rest especially large males that still needed to put on more fat under their dark brown fur, and the specimen in front of them seemed to be one of them. If Ariana had lowered her eyes and retreated slowly, perhaps the beast would have growled for a while and then returned to his raspberries. As it was... Ariane was so horrified at the, and at the same time fascinated by that enormous head, she could not move nor could she avert his, her eyes. This irritated the animal and he started growling and moving his head right and left for a while, then raised up on his two hind legs, towering with his eight feet over the thicket and the people. He approached the girl... On two legs, not fast, as if still taking her measures, but coming closer nevertheless. At that moment, Alexios jumped in front of Ariane, pushed her violently to the side and took her place. The girl stumbled and fell in a ditch. From there, she watched the bear in terror, still not taking her eyes off it. The bear, which looked even larger now, stopped abruptly at the commotion and then, finally angry, approached the man and with an almost unnoticed movement slapped his shoulder with a huge paw. Alexios was lifted in the air and spun around like a toy. Then he fell with his face in the mud and remained motionless. The bear was stirred up now and turned towards the lifeless body with the intent of beating him to a pulp with his monstrous paws and claws. Ariane stood up, reached for her bow, placed an arrow, strained the spring, and with Basto's instructions in mind, released it. At the same time, she realized that a poor wooden arrow, no matter how sharp, would not kill the bear, probably not even hurt him. But all she wanted at that moment was to draw his attention away from her father. The arrow remained dangling in the beast's fur, but this action had its intended effect. The bear turned to the girl and raised again to his frightening height. Then she heard a voice behind her. Don't move. And an arrow, this time a deadly metal-tipped one, hissed past her ear and pierced the bear in his chest. Immediately after, a second arrow stuck in his beast in in the beast's neck and the third one followed and pierced his heart the bear took one more step then stopped in wonder and looked down at his chest then he sat on his rear still still growling but now he seemed to have forgotten everything around him he tried to touch the arrows but his motion became uncoordinated and all he could do was smear the blood over his paws. Finally, he tipped to one side and remained motionless. ''Don't move,'' sounded the warning for the second time and from the corner of her eyes, Ariane saw a shadow moving carefully towards the bear, bow still in his hand and ready to release a fourth arrow if need be. It wasn't. The bear was dead, and didn't move when the warrior pushed him several times with the tip of his boot. Only then did he turn to her and grim grin. Always getting in trouble, Lumina's eyes. It was him, the one she thought about so often lately. Him, saving her life, again. He came closer and stretched his hand. Ariane grabbed it immediately, overwhelmed by joy. But then she heard Celia's voice and her joy turned into terror. Terror, Father! Cilius was running up the path with eyes close behind. Celia stopped for a second and took in the image in front of him, sighed slightly when he saw his sister unharmed, and then fell on his knees next to his father. He put an arm under the lifeless body and tenderly turned it. The wound was terrible. His entire left shoulder was a mass of flesh, blood, and cloth, all mixed together. His face was white and his eyes closed. Silas lowered his head and put an ear to his father's chest, listening to a, for a short while. Still breathing, but he lost a lot of blood, he said, and his face reminded Ariane of the times when they were children and he thought he had he has been left alone. Dekinaes took off his cloak and laid it on the earth. We will wrap and carry him out of the forest. The stronghold is not far. Come on, uh, Cilias, pick him up. Cilias helped Dekinaes wrap Alexius and then, with infinite tenderness, took him in his arms and hurried down the path. Atalaxus stepped forward and opened his mouth to offer to carry him, but then he closed it again. He was bigger and had more power than Celia's, but she knew the boy would never release his father to anybody. The Kinaes nodded to him, then turned himself and started running. Ataraxis let them go ahead, then turned his eyes to Ariane, who still clung to his hand. Her face was white and an ugly grimace distorted her beautiful mouth. She was in shock, he decided, and led her down the path while holding her hand. Soon they lost sight of the dead animal and followed the path towards the stronghold of Arpash. After several long minutes, they arrived at the edge of the forest. The stronghold stood ahead in the middle of a grassy plain on the other side of a rivulet. Cilias, Dechinais, and Thais were some distance away, well into the open, and Dechinais was already blowing his horn. They were negotiating the river when the gates at the stronghold opened and a group of riders hurried to meet them. Silas climbed the low banks of the river just as the first rider stopped in front of him. He got off the horse and took the body from the young man's arm. Silas jumped on the back of the horse and the rider lifted Alexios and helped the son take the still body back into his arms. Another rider bent over and helped Thais get on the horse behind him. Then the group hurried back towards the for- fortress and within several minutes they disappeared through the gates. The Kinais turned around, nodded to Ataraxis again and went back to meet the caravan that was just coming out of the forest. In the meantime, Ataraxis and Ariane reached the river themselves and he signaled her to sit down. Arianes splashed some water over her face, then sat down in the short yellow grass and started to cry. He lowered himself next to her, but didn't speak and didn't touch her. He knew very well what she was going through and also knew that she needed time and space to come out of her shock. The fact that she cried was already a good sign. After a while, Arianes stopped crying and remained silent watching the water flow from one boulder to the other. Then she turned her face to him, questioning, questioning him with her golden eyes. He answered, In Arpash lives a man, a physician. He knows his way with wounds and how to heal them. If Zamolx decides on life for your father, this man will heal him. Ariane had heard about Zamolkses many times during their journey. The Molxes was most, the most important Dacian god and everything happened at his will. He seemed to be a kind god, one to protect home and family and most of all accompany the warriors in battle. She asked herself if the Molxes were ready to take Alexios under his protection or leave him for their own gods. She prayed the Dacian god would not turn away from her father. This is the second time you have saved my life, she told him. Well, maybe this is my destiny, he answered and stood up. Let's go, it's getting cold and you want to be with your family. He stretched out his hand again and she grabbed it again without thinking. Who taught you how to handle the bow, he asked once they were on their way. Basto. Then she hurried to explain Basto is one of the warriors that accompanied us from Carcium. I know Basto. He is one of the Kinaes men. Then he smiled and continued, I thought one of the younger warriors would have been more interested. The girl shrugged, but her cheeks turned pink. Basto is a good warrior, and he taught you well. I had arrows without a tip. He taught you well. Maybe you can start practicing now with real arrows. We'll see. They walked in silence for a while. Then Ataraxa spoke again. Do you know Basto has a daughter around your age? She is not an ugly girl and she already has suitors. But Basto runs them all off. He says none of them is fine enough for his special girl. She might remain alone at least as long as her father lives. Ariana smiled. It was afternoon, and even though the sky was clear, the sun didn't have much power anymore. It was getting cold, and Adriana shuddered at once. He could have touched her, kept her warm, but he didn't. Usually, he never had trouble getting close to a pretty girl. But somehow, he knew she wouldn't let herself be hurried into more than she was ready to give. And, for a reason he could not quite understand... It was important for him to wait until she came to him on her own. Are you staying? No, I have to go. You will be coming with me, though. He smiled down at her and squeezed her hand lightly. She smiled back at her and her cheeks changed color again. This terrible day also had something good in it. Thank you for being with me again, and I hope we'll meet again next Sunday. The journey continues, at least for the young people, and you will be very interested to find out where they're going and what they're doing.